Welcome to PDPW's podcast. Here's Bill Baker. This week, we look into the positive power of servant leadership. If you know Tom Thibodeau, then you know he's been preaching servant leadership all of his life. But now it's needed today more than ever before. So let's hear from Tom in this week's PDPW podcast titled, Being a Servant. Robert Greenleaf in 1970 wrote a a a pamphlet called The Servant as Leader. Greenleaf was the Vice President of Human Resources and Development at AT AT&T Corporation, the largest corporation in the world at that time with about 88,000 employees across the globe. And over 25 years of of service in the organization, he was always studying leadership. In fact, he he had the ability to have AT&T by the second large frame computer built by IBM. The first went to the Defense Department. The second went to AT&T, so they are able to attract their leadership development and training. You can imagine what it was like trying to communicate across the lines to 88,000 people to a group that was committed to communications. It's rather extraordinary. And what he paid attention to, and not only in terms of studies, but in terms of water cooler talk when people would gather at that point, if you can remember water coolers, which are now coming back, people talk about their bosses, they talk about their managers, they talk about the people who supervise them. And what he was able to discern and then later prove by research, that the people that were most able to lead and to develop people and their teams were the people who served their people the people who are committed to the growth and development of others. The word servant in French uh, is the same word as the word sergeant. So we look in terms of our own military, and military people will tell you that the sergeant is the backbone of the military, a sergeant who serves all those people entrusted to their care, a sergeant who would never ask somebody to do something they weren't willing to do themselves. How important it is that we have people who provide that kind of example to others. Everybody wants great customer service. Who chooses to be the servant? And Greenleaf was asked about this, and he said the best test is this. Because of your service and leadership, are people healthier, freer, more autonomous, wiser, more likely themselves? to become servants and leaders. And then he adds the moral imperative. And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Because of our service and leadership, who are the people that are least able to speak for themselves, who have the least amount of opportunity? Who takes care of those who serve us so well? We've seen this over and over again in the very popular television show, Undercover Boss. It was supposed to be a show that came on at a Super Bowl about 15 years ago on CBS, but has remained a, a summer staple. It's kind of brought out in which a CEO of a company goes undercover to do the entry-level work in their own organizations. And what do they find out? In most cases, the CEO cannot do the work of the people who are producing the wealth. The CEO has no idea in terms of how to pack a truck in a moving business, has no idea how to clean the fryer in a fast food restaurant, has no idea how to run the dishwasher or to organize a storeroom in a fast food restaurant. And all of a sudden they begin to realize that these people who are working on the front lines who are providing the service each and every day 
are oftentimes unrecognized and underappreciated. I think about this. Many of our people who are listening today are out in their barns or in their fields doing work that the rest of us have no idea how difficult, challenging, complicated it all is. I think now in terms of when we talk about climate change, how are our farmers across the country helping to mitigate the lack of rain because of drought? Or how are they dealing with downpours and flooding of their fields? How are they finding parts for their equipment? How many of us go to the grocery store and think that the milk magically appeared? Or that when we go to the meat counter, that somehow, where did, they, where did this chicken and beef or pork come from? Who understands the hard labor, the sacrifice, and the service that people provide so that we have enough to eat, that we live in security and safety? Currently, 100,000 American service people are deployed to Europe so that we can feel safe in the midst of the first war on the European continent since World War II. 100,000 families do not have mom or dad, brother or sister, son or daughter at home, are not going on summer vacations because our service people are protecting us. Everybody wants good service. Who chooses to be the servant? So this last week at Viterbo University, we held our national conference on servant leadership. Over 400 people came. We had people there from healthcare. We had people from financial um, companies. We had people who work in the nonprofit sectors. We had educators. We had people working in public service. We had people from the military. We had people who are ordinary citizens who are concerned about the future for their children and their grandchildren come together to listen to speakers who talked about service and leadership. They talked about humility and hospitality. They talked about courage and competence. They talked about collaboration and complexity. They talked about dignity and the need to be willing to sacrifice for the lives of other people. We had a troubadour, Larry Long, who Studs Terkel one time named America's Troubadour, Larry Long, in the tradition of Arlo, Bob Woody Guthrie, travels the country and listens to the stories of ordinary people and then works with the community to raise up those people by writing a song to honor people who work as a farmer in, in Oklahoma or a midwife down in the Delta of Mississippi. He told the story of Frank Evans, who who was a catcher for Satchel Paige and later walked with Dr. King uh, in, in, in search of civil rights. We had a Colonel Messenger who came to speak to us, the Commandant at Fort McCoy here in Wisconsin. Fort McCoy, which will be hosting 150,000 National Guards people this summer, preparing them for any kind of service that they will be providing to this nation internally or God forbid, externally. Colonel Messenger, who pointed out that he stopped at the gates of Fort McCoy, and there was a gentleman with his grandson. And the gentleman, and he said, could I take your picture? And they said yes, and he, he took their picture together. And he asked the grandfather about his being there, and he said, I worked here for 20 years at Fort McCoy. It was such a wonderful place that my grandson's name 
is McCoy. And Colonel Messenger said, how many of us work for companies or corporations that we'd want to name our children after them? There in the United States military where he was there commanding, but he serves each and every day in any way possible. Rather extraordinary. Dr. Bobby Gassout, the former executive director of Mayo Clinic Healthcare Systems. Here was a woman whose expertise was a surgeon for ovarian cancer. Saving people's lives in the most difficult circumstances is recognized for her leadership and brings that same level of confidence and courage and compassion to the whole Mayo Clinic system where you have to have both margins but mission of providing the best patient care to everybody who walks through any one of their doors in a healthcare system that is now recognized as one of the best in the world. Thoughtful, provocative, talking about her own growing up in a household with four girls, only one bathroom and one car to share. Came from very humble beginnings, never forgot where she came from, and understood that humility is the basis of all leadership, not power and privilege and prestige. We had Dr. Scott Rathgraber here from La Crosse, where two healthcare systems, Gunderson Healthcare and Bellin Healthcare out of Green Bay, have merged in order to take care of rural people on the eastern and western sides of the states of Wisconsin, recognizing that they could be stronger together than they could ever be alone, recognizing that they were going to build partnerships that he had to change. He had to think differently about himself, that the role of a leader is not to change other people and other people's lives. The role of a leader is to change our own attitudes, our own behaviors, our own beliefs, so that we are much more able to work with others, to build partnerships for good greater than ourselves. We had a married couple, Regina and John Siegel from our community. Regina is a vice president of a financial organization. John is our newly elected sheriff. Regina is an African-American woman, talented, thoughtful, sings like an angel. John, the sheriff of the Cross County. And here they are in a mixed racial marriage having to talk about the tragedy of the death of George Floyd having to deal with racism within their own families, communities, and workplaces, but doing it with dignity and grace. Not blame, not shame, but honesty and respect. And we all began to recognize that these are not abstractions. These are people's lives who are wholly sacred and need to be understood. Our conference also involved people who were storytellers, who told the stories of their organizations and other people. Organizations that have focused on their employees rather than just only on their external clients. And as they focused and getting to know the stories of one another in their organization, conflict has been diminished, productivity has increased. How important it is that when we have healthy, strong relationships in a workplace where we know each other, we are therefore much more likely to be collaborative, productive, innovative, and compassionate in our responses to other people. Our final speaker for the whole conference was a young man that I'd like to raise up today, Jonah Larson. Jonah has a foundation called Jonah's Hands. Jonah Larson, look him up. 
a little boy who was born in Ethiopia. And when he was born, his mother wrapped him in a banana leaf and left him by a river. A day later, a woman who was very familiar with that water spot came and heard the whimpering of a small child and opened up the banana leaf, and there was Jonah. She picked him up and brought him home, but within a day brought him into town to an orphanage, saying, My breasts have no more milk. I have nothing to feed this child. Please take him. He was raised in this orphanage, and finally a family from the United States, La Crosse, Wisconsin, came to the orphanage and adopted young Jonah. Jonah was 15 years of age. He stood in front of us and he ran a PowerPoint presentation in a more profound way than I've ever seen anyone do it as a professional speaker or as an entertainer or as a leader. And he flashed on a, a picture of himself being held by his mom, his dad, and his grandmother. All three pictures showed him being fed all three pictures showed him looking in the opposite direction of the faces of the people who loved him. And then Jonah said to all of us, I suffer from reactive attachment disorder, and showed us a blanket where he lay for six months of his life, a blanket that it, it was there to keep him warm and to keep him clean, and the staff, of course, didn't have enough time to hold him as much as he needed to be held. And this young 15-year-old boy realizes that this was a struggle for him, but he has embraced it and he's been honest about it. He has also developed his strengths and abilities, so he's known across the country as a crochet kid. At a very early age, he was found a couple of crochet needles, asked his mother how to crochet. She showed him a YouTube instructional video. He began with a potholder, went on to scarves, has gone on to creating his own designs. Jonah Larson has his own line of yarn. He has a, hundred, a million followers on Instagram. People are fascinated by the ability of this young man. Articulate, intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate. His mother, who I would call a saint, has started his foundation, Jonah's Hands. And so the money that Jonah has raised through his ability to crochet, he has taken this money and donated it to the village in which he was found, a village of mud huts with straw roofs, a village with 2,000 children in the school who did not have a library, so Jonah built a library. Jonah built a science lab. Jonah bought desks and chairs for all the children so they did not have to sit on the ground while they tried to learn. Jonah built a women's bathroom so that girls could come to school and have their dignity while they were getting their education. He also paid for soccer jerseys and a soccer coach to teach the children how to play the world's number one game. And Dr. Jeff Thompson, who knew his family very well and knew Jonah from an early age, Dr. Thompson, an intensive care pediatrician who became the CEO of Gunderson Clinic, would care for this young boy at different times, developed a relationship with him, a deep level of trust and respect between men from two different generations, different races and backgrounds, both committed to the health and well-being of others. And Dr. Thompson asked Jonah, Jonah, 
Do your parents have a big fancy car? No, Dr. Thompson, they do not. Jonah, do you live in a big fancy house? No, Dr. Thompson, we do not. Jonah, do you have a college education fund? No, not yet, Dr. Thompson. Jonah, how much money have you donated back to the Ethiopian village from where you came? $80,000. And all of us, all of us stopped. All of us were in wonder and awe. For myself, I'm thinking, Thibodeau, you're playing way too small. What is possible for each of us when we dedicate ourselves to the service of other people? What is possible when we take our gifts, our abilities, our talents, and our opportunities and provide leadership for people that we might consider to be less privileged than ourselves? What is possible for us when we immerse ourselves in our occupation, whether it be medicine or the arts or financial? What happens when we take our gifts and our abilities where we are and use them to transform the lives of the people that who serve others and the ripple effect of goodness that continues to spread? Robert Greenleaf was correct in 1970. What was true at AT&T Corporation then, and is true for us today, the people that are the most effective leaders are those people who choose to serve. Dr. Martin Luther King says this, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only, you only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. A heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And two weeks ago at Paterbo University, 400 people came together and left with hearts full of grace, souls generated by love, to serve and lead in their families, their communities, and our country. Good work, hard work, noble work, dare I say sacred work, that's been given for all of us to do. Thank you, Tom Thibodeau. Tom, a distinguished professor of servant leadership at Viterbo University. And for archived podcasts and more on-demand programs, and for more on the professional development for today's dairy producer, head to PDPW's free website at pdpw.org. Until next time, have a safe and productive week.